This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3431 for Monday, the 27th of September 2021. Today's show is entitled Living in the Terminal and is part of the series Lightweight Apps. It is hosted by Black Colonel and is about 46 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is Black Colonel shows you some programs you'll need for living life without Xorg. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Public Radio. My name is Black Colonel, and today I'm going to be talking about. Uh, this would probably eventually come up in my technology, my journey through technology series, but I decided that after talk, after talking to some guy on the internet, that it might be a good idea to have this be its own video, just about the applications that I used during this time. So what happened was that there was a time where I was trying to install. Arch Linux. And it was going okay, but my whenever I tried to use the graphical settings, because I, I didn't really know a lot at the time about the way that X actually worked on your system with the X authority file and lock files and all of this other nonsense, quite frankly. Um, so I didn't really know how to fix it when it wouldn't actually load the graphical user interface. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to use the terminal for for until I get to a point where I can't use the terminal anymore. And it took a couple of years because I used the terminal for a couple of years and nothing else. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go over today the applications that I used as well as some of the bash RC stuff that I have. Um, I'm going to start out with the bash RC stuff. So the first thing I want to go over is the environment variables that I use. So all of these environment variables are in the form uh, export and then the name of the variable in all caps and then an equal sign without uh, so sorry it's export all lowercase and then a space and then whatever the variable is in all caps and then an equal sign and then the value so no space between the equal sign and either the variable name or the value so the environment variables that I have set are for my editor, my pager, my browser, and then also for my directories for my XDG, that's X-Ray Delta Golf Data Home, and my XDG Config Home. Those are standards set up by the freedesktop.org people that basically just allow for all of your programs to know where to send stuff and to keep all of your stuff well organized. The editor that I use is NeoVim. NeoVim uh, is a successor to Vim, which is a successor to Six, which is the uh, standard text editor on Unix. 
Um, I've heard a lot of people call it like Vi or Vi, but it's I'm pretty sure it's pronounced six, sort of like how Mac OS ten is pronounced Mac OS ten because it's the the Roman numerals Vi. Anyway, uh, then the pager that I use is Most, which Klaatu actually is the one that sort of told me about that one uh, during his going through the Slackware package series. Um, I just like the functionality that it gives me because if I'm going to be using a terminal, I like to have things at least somewhat color-coded for some kind of visual reference. I mean, I can read everything on the same color text, but it just makes it a little bit more differentiated when I have that those sort of color cues. Um, and the browser that I'm using is Lynx. Now, that's Lynx Lima Yankee November X-Ray, not Lynx Lima India November Kilo Sierra. Uh, I just like this version, the, the, the Yankee November X-Ray version, because I've just found it works a little bit better for me. It handles more... I mean, I don't actually know if it handles more protocols. I think it does. I don't know if I don't know if uh, Lima India November Kilo Sierra. I don't know if that handles Gopher links or FTP links. I, I could be wrong about that, but there was something about it that it just seemed less feature rich than Lima Yankee November X Ray. I, I could be wrong about that, but that's the one that I've used. And then I have my uh, XDG Data Home and my XDG Config Home set to there standard values, which is the home directory, and then in the case of the data home, that's slash dot local slash share, and then in case of the config home, it's home directory slash dot config, and those are the ones that are sort of set up by standard for by the freedesktop.org people. Um, next, I have my PS1 environment variable, which is my bash prompt, sort of the thing you get in the terminal where you start typing things in, everything before the command you start typing in. Uh, I know that some people like to have it be like only a single character, and then some people like to have it be like incredibly long with a return line at the end of it, and then starting it on the second line, and both of those just seem... Well, honestly, the second one seems more insane to me. I can use a terminal where I just have a single character, and if I need to find out what directory I'm in, I just type pwd, or if I need to find out who I am, I can type out who am I, and it'll give you username, I can use hostname to find out what the hostname is. It's not, and then I can use git status to see if I'm in a git repository or all that. It's not difficult to figure out, but I don't really have a problem with, like, I would rather have the information at my fingertips and have that sort of instant differentiation rather than having to type in more commands. In addition to, I don't really get bothered by having to wrap my bash commands very much, and if I do hit the end of a line and I want to sort of visually differentiate it, I can always use a backslash return, which will allow me to continue a command on the next line even in the bash prompt. I know that some guy on the internet was talking about doing that on in a script, but you can also do that just in the command line and it'll work as well. Um, so anyway, my prompt is I have my username and I have it set to blue if it's a regular user and red if it's root to once again give that kind of visual differentiation. And then I have the at symbol, and then I have the host name in green, 
I don't know why I really decided on green. I, I saw it on some other system, and I just really liked the way that it looked as far as the differentiation goes. And, and then I have a colon, and then I have a um, I have my working directory, whatever directory I'm currently in, and then I have whether or not I'm in a Git branch. So it'll say and what Git branch I'm in. So right now I'm working on my waste paper basket, which is a trash uh, command line trash application written in Rust, and I need to make sure, because I'm not really a power user of Git or anything, I've really just started using it in earnest, so I want to know if I'm on the dev branch or the master branch, or if I need to, like, ha where I actually am in my Git repo, and that's useful for me, because I may or may not have tried to merge master into dev, and I'm just glad that it didn't work the way I was typing it out, because that would have been a pain in the butt to fix. Anyway, um, if I'm root, I also have it set to, well, after the, the get branch, I have it set to, for a normal user, it's the dollar sign, and for root, it is the hash, hash symbol, which I know that there's some people that say that it recently got called a hashtag, and that's like a new development, but ever since, like, C, the uh, Octothorpe, which is sort of the most general name for that, is the... Uh, was used for hash tables, which is like the Python equivalent of a dictionary, where it's a key-value pair. So hashtag came out like it was called that because of the symbols already used for the hash table. And it was a tag that started with the hash symbol. So that's how that whole thing came out. Sorry, that's just a pet peeve of mine where people don't know the history of things. Um, so after all of that, I have a couple of aliases. I only have two, really. Uh, one of them is aliasing vim to neovim, or nvim, which is the command, and I alias play to mpv, because I do have socks installed, which is what play would normally go to, but I would rather type play and then an audio file and have it play through mpv, which I'll get into what that is, because it's one of the applications on this list than going through socks. So, the first thing that I want to talk about as far as the applications go is what I use to sort of I guess it would be sort of called a window manager type of thing. It's very similar to a tiling window manager, except for there is no accession, there are no graphical anything. It's Tmux, which is the terminal multiplexer. Um, it's pretty easy to use, and it lets you actually use it on a TTY, which so not, not with an accession running, which is useful for this whole thing. It also lets you use it in an SSH session, and a couple other things which are very useful as far as that's concerned. Um, you can also get multiple workspaces on your TTY for free by using the Control-Alt-F keys in order to um, switch between the various workspaces, and you can have something running in one while you switch to another, and it'll keep playing. Like if you have... Uh, I'll get into a little bit later how I watch a video on the terminal and how I look at pictures on the terminal. And if you have a video open in one of your TTYs... I. I haven't tried it recently, and I remember there was some kind of a little bit of an issue with it, but you can switch to a different TTY and do more typing things while you have a video playing in a different TTY, and I think the audio still works. I should test that really quickly, but I'm I'm not going to, so I'll, I'll test it after I record this, and if there isn't a problem... If there isn't a problem, then I won't say anything, and if there is a problem, I'll leave a note in the show notes saying 
what happened and what the problem is. Uh, so you also can get a lot of the benefits that you get from a tiling window manager. You can move around your different panes. You can have all of these things open. So if, if you don't know basically what the terminal multiplexer does is you have your regular terminal screen and then at the bottom you have a sort of taskbar. It has your date and time as well as your prompt and all of that kind of stuff as well as what program you have currently running in your current pane. You can press Control b and then the arrow keys to switch between panes and you can use Control b is sort of going into command mode and then you can use the arrow keys to switch between panes. You can use the bra the braces, the curly braces Excuse me. You can use the curly braces to switch around where the panes are. So control B and then left curly brace will sort of rotate all of your stuff around a little bit. Let me get that back to where it was. Um, and there's a, few, there's a bunch of other stuff. You can also do multiple windows so you can actually have multiple workspaces on the same TTY going through different windows in Tmux. And it's very very feature rich. I'm going to put links to all of these programs is all of their homepages in the show notes below. But I just kind of want to give you a basic cuz I have a lot of them to go through. I want to give you kind of a basic overview of what the actual program is. So that's basically how it works and it lets you run multiple terminals all on the same screen kind of in the similar ways you would with a tiling window manager or a regular window manager where you'd have multiple windows open, where you, you might have Firefox or GIMP or whatever open, whereas in this case you'd have links and you'd have... I mean, I suppose you could edit photos if you have them in bitmap format. You could edit them in Vim, but I don't want to think about that too much because that sounds horrible. Um, anyway, you can also set up a, th a little part of your Bash RC, which is if open square bracket tech tango which is hyphen tango zero close square bracket ampersand ampersand uh, double open square bracket hyphen zulu dollar sign all caps tango Mike uniform x-ray double closing square bracket ampersand ampersand double opening square bracket dollar sign hyphen equals asterisk India asterisk double closing square bracket semicolon, then exec tmux, exec is uh, echo x-ray, echo charlie, tmux, tango mic, uniform x-ray, semicolon, phi, fi, foxtrot india. And what that whole thing will do, and once again that'll be in the show notes, what that whole thing will do is that it's going to test if you are in a, like, a valid terminal, like not a login terminal. Well, I mean, I guess... The dollar sign hyphen equals asterisk India asterisk. That tests if you're in an interactive terminal as opposed to a login terminal. So it's not going to log you out when you close Tmux. But what this basically will do is that when you start a terminal session, be it in your terminal emulator or in a TTY, then it will start Tmux automatically. And when you close, when you exit out of Tmux, it will also exit out of your terminal session. So it'll kind of it uh, matches up your Tmux and your terminal. So it makes it so that it's really easy to keep track of it so you're never stuck in a terminal without Tmux because it's very useful. I didn't even mention like one of the main things Tmux is used for, which is that you can detach sessions 
from Tmux. So if you're logged into an SSH server, for example, then you can start your daemon or whatever and have it hang in that terminal. And then you can just detach that terminal and you can still use your that server and have that daemon running. And then if you ever wanted to reattach in order to view logs or if you wanted to reinteract with that thing, then you can reattach that Tmux session to your terminal. And it really is a very nice system for handling multiple terminal sessions. And this allows you to never be stuck in a situation where you logged into the SSH server or you're logged into your computer and you are starting a daemon in something and you think, oh man, I want to, I'm going to just attach this Tmux session. Wait, I forgot to run Tmux before I started this daemon and now, now you're stuck and, and you're very sad. Um, but that's that's one of the things that you could do to do that. So next thing I'm going to talk about is CMUS, which is one of my favorite programs. It is uh, the C Music Player. It is a little NCurses application, so it uh, it's getting more and more difficult to explain to a new user what NCurses is. If you're familiar with DOS, it's kind of like the graphical, like the interfaces you would have with a DOS application. The one that is screaming in my mind is WordPerfect, but I I don't think anybody knows what WordPerfect is anymore, and I it makes me kind of sad and kind of happy all at the same time. But essentially what it is, is it's a way of drawing graphics on the screen using, I mean, essentially it's ASCII text is what it is, really. Uh, you could just... How do I even explain... Um, it's NCurses, that's what it is. If you've used the Slackware install manager, if you've used the Debian installer, Debian installer uses NCurses. The, it's basically what you can have as a graphical user interface if you use something like, um, Midnight Commander, which I don't know why you would use Midnight Commander. I mean, I guess I do know why you would use Midnight Commander, but I never used it. Like, I would just use two Tmux windows and then copy files around that way. Midnight Commander, if you don't know, is a file manager in the terminal that uses this NCurses interface. Anyway, the point is, is that CMUS uses this NCurses interface. It's very easy to... You be, you press 1 to go to your library, you press 2 to go to the all of the queued songs, like all of the songs that you have available. Three will show you your playlists. Sorry. Uh, one is your sort of artist album interface. So it is an organized list of your library. Two is like all of the files just thrown in your library. Three is your playlists. Four is your play queue. Five is a, um, a file browser. So you can use it to go to different files in order to add them to your library. Uh, six will show you your library filters where it'll actually be able to show, like, if if uh, a date com tag is set on it where it's in the 1990s, then it'll label it as 90s music. If you haven't played it, it'll mark it as unheard, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then 7 is all of the settings that you can set on CMUSE, and I think that's all of them, yeah. There's no 9, or 8 even. So if I go back to 1... Then I can see all of the artists and uh, albums that I have, and it'll start me off in the artist tab. So I'm just gonna go to Fat Chance Lester. So I have um, the album Napalm Lounge by Fat Chance Lester. I need to. I, I got this one from Clatu's site from the archive, and it's the one hour 
just the entire album in one track, and I need to either split that up or just go and pay for it, which I probably will, um, because I really cannot be bothered to split audio right now or in the near future. So that's basically how, and if I go over to Napalm Lounge and then I press, well, hold on, I don't want to mess up my current setup right now, so I'm going to press tab again. So now I'm back in the artist one. If you press tab on Fat Chance Lester, it'll go into the track view and it will show you your, um, it'll select it over on the song. But right now I want to go to, if I click the number three and I go to playlist view, and if I type in colon PL hyphen create and then a space, and then I'm going to call this uh, Hotel Papa Romeo HPR. Then it'll create a new playlist called HPR. And then I'm going to go down on the playlist view. So it's selecting HPR. And then I'm going to click Space, which will move the asterisk from default to HPR. So now I have HPR selected. Now I'm going to go to 1, which will go to my library view. I have Fat Chance Lester still selected. I'm going to hit Tab to select Napalm Lounge, and I'm going to hit Y, which will yank Napalm Lounge, or the track that's selected, into the playlist that's selected with that asterisk. So if I click 3, then you'll see that Fat Chance Lester Napalm Lounge is added to the HPR playlist. And then if I hit Tab again, then I can hit Enter on the track, or I can hit Enter when I have the HPR selected, and it will play through either the track and then play through the whole playlist, or it will play through the whole playlist from the beginning if I just select the playlist. And that's basically how that works, and it'll play all of your music that you want to do. I should talk about how to add music real quick, though. Um, I'm just going to delete that playlist, which is capital D. But the way that you add music is that if you're in, I think, any view, really, but I'm going to do it in, the, uh, in view number one. You type colon ADD and then you can type a path to um, wherever your music files are. So, like, for example, my music is in tilde slash music slash library, and it has tab completion. And then if I hit enter on that, then it'll add all of the music that's in that directory or any of its subdirectories. It will add that straight into my library. And then you can add create playlists the way that I said. You can add, add songs to playlists the way that I said, yank them into playlists, and all of that and then play all of your music that way. And it's a very, very nice music manager, and I even use it on my smartphone. I have an Android smartphone running Termux, which is a terminal emulator for Android. And I actually use Seamuse in Termux to play my music just because I like the interface and the in the user interaction a lot better than most of the... Um, the most of the... Uh, most of the applications that I can get for Android to manage music. Because, for example, if I go to uh, another band that I have a lot of music for, that if, I, if you have multiple albums, it will lay them out very cleanly, where it'll have the name of the album, and it'll tell you how long the album is, it'll tell you all of the information about the album, it'll just be in a really clean list that's just so nice. I mean, I, I realize that I have a very particular aesthetic, but that's the aesthetic that I like. Uh, that's basically all you need to know, and probably more than you wanted to know about Seamuse. And that's it for, for Seamuse. Now I'm going to talk about pictures. Um, I actually don't know if this is going to screw with my recording. I don't think it will, but I've never tried to record while I'm using, using this one. So the pictures, anything that has to do with pictures or video 
is going to utilize something called the Linux frame buffer. You can do it in other ways, I know. There's a way of doing it poorly, which is essentially um, something called libcaca is probably the best way to do it. But it doesn't actually work on a TTY. It works in a virtual term, or like a um, terminal emulator, pretty okay. But why would you use it in a terminal emulator if you have access to X? I mean, maybe there's a reason. If there's a reason, let me know. I want to know. But I really wish that they would work on making those libraries a little bit better of displaying text. I can think of a couple of ways that I would, that I might be able to do it, but I do not have time. I'm already struggling to try to record HPR episodes. I have so many in my backlog that I need to get through, and I just I don't have time to add another programming project on top of that, especially one as complicated as TTY-based image manipulation, which I I understand it well enough to know how complicated that would be, and I just don't have time. Anyway, th- th- this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a program called FIM, which is Foxtrot India Mike, which stands for FBI Improved, which FBI is for Frame Buffer Image, I think. But basically what this will do is that if you just type in FIM, F-I, uh, Foxtrot India Mike, space and then the name of a of an image file so i'm gonna open up the cover of one of my albums that i have why does it say well i mean this gets into one of the things that i wanted to talk about but uh it will actually require it requires special privileges in order to use so what and i'm gonna have to do this on the fly i guess so what you have to do is you have to do sudo or su you need as root uh, user mod, and then the name of your user, and you want to add your user to, so that's capital G-A, to add yourself to a group, and the group is going to be video. So I'm going to type in the password, sorry, I think it's A, lowercase A, capital G, and then video. Yep, that one was it. If I type in groups, I am now still not in the, why am I not in the video group? <sighs> I'm doing something wrong, hold on. Oh, that's right. I it could be that the the user needs to be the last argument. That was not it. Do I need to re-log in? I better not have to re-log in. Alright, well I can't I'm pretty sure that I need to re-log in in order to actually have the groups sync. But I'm recording, so I'm not gonna do that. So instead I'm just going to do it as a root because screw it. So if I do um that is root, then it opens up the image, which looks really terrible over the tmux, but if you don't have tmux running, then it's fine. Uh, And it looks like my audio is still good, so that did not, in fact, destroy my audio. Um, But it'll basically, it'll pop up the image in the Linux frame buffer, so even though you're in a terminal, it will display the graphics over your terminal really nicely. Like, it's not ASCII text, it's not any of that, it's actually drawing the image to the screen as a graphic, which is nice. The problem with it is that it takes up your entire screen, not just one of the Tmux panes, which is annoying, which is why I kind of wish that somebody would write a better libcaca type thing that would actually it would actually work and show actual video and not look terrible. Uh, but that's besides the point. Um, actually, I'm actually going to talk about is my video as well as... Um, radio and uh, single audio files. So for music, I generally use um, CMUSE, but for audio files, like podcasts or audiobooks, 
uh, I use MPV is the name of the program. And the way that it works is you can type in MPV and then whatever you're going to play as audio in there. And then it'll just play it. Then you can use spacebar to pause. You can press Q to quit. You can press P to pause or play as well. It's very nice. Very, very, very nice. There's other options as well. It's like the reason why I don't like socks is because it's very difficult to pause it. I know that there's a way of doing it, but I don't remember what it is. I should probably mention that in CMUSE pauses the letter C for some reason. But that's what it is. And then you can press R to enable repeat mode and S to enable shuffle in CMUSE. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about MPV. In an MPV, you pause with spacebar or the letter P, Papa. Um, what you can also do is you can also play videos. And if you're on the terminal, you can press, you can do uh, Mike Papa Victor, which is MPV. Then you can do hyphen Victor Oscar for video output, and you can put equals, and if you wanted to do something like the lib caca, you could type in caca, which is Charlie Alpha Charlie Alpha. Um, and then if you wanted to actually do it the good way, you would type in DRM, which stands for direct, d- direct read monitoring, or something like that. It stands for direct something, and it, it writes it directly to the the frame buffer, um, which gives you actually good video, or as good as your screen will allow video, as opposed to ASCII text that is in a rough approximation of video, which is what Libcaca gives you. Which is impressive, like, it's, it isn't anything to sneeze at, and if you can make the font size smaller... Oh, excuse me. And if you can make the font size smaller, it's actually pretty decent. The problem is is that on the TTY, it's very difficult to make your font size smaller dynamically. So I don't. And I just use DRM, which does not stand for digital rights management, by the way. It's not it's different DRM. This is a, a good DRM. Uh, you can use MPV to handle all of like like radio files, like PLS files for Soma FM, as well as any web video links you have. It'll, it'll play those through the, the video output and all of that. I think you need to have YouTube DL in order to do that, in order to have that work. But you can use pip install YouTube DL in order to get that. I actually do not have that in my thing. I only know that because it threw a hissy fit at me on my phone when I was trying to play a video through it. So let me just update that in the show notes real quick. Requires YouTube DL for video. Okay, well, I'm going to... I'll grab the um, URL for that when we talk about my browser. But for right now, I also want to talk about my what I use for podcasts and RSS. So for podcasts and RSS, I use a program called Newsboat, which has a podcast manager called Podboat. Newsboat, I have nothing bad to say about it. Newsboat is... Um, Newsboat is a very good RSS reader. It has all of your RSS feeds delineated... In a very similar way, CMUSE and an curses type of interface, you can press Control R, or sorry, Shift R, capital R, to reload all of your RSS feeds. You can enter them with Enter, and you can, you know, do all that stuff. Read the articles that are in the RSS feed. You can press O to open them in your browser. If you have a browser set to the browser that I'm going to talk about, then it will open up in that, and you can read it on the terminal as well. And if you're on a podcast, you can press E and it will enqueue it into Podboat, which is a separate command. So you need to get out of Newsboat and go into Podboat. 
and it'll have your Q. And you press D on like delta, lowercase delta, on the um, podcast episode, and it will download it. But be warned, the default download is just the root of your home folder, so just tilde, that's just where all your stuff goes. But you can change that in the config file to be actually sane and a good one. And my point is that for articles, Newsboat is very, very good. For podcasts, it requires a little bit of configuration. You need to set up an actually sane place to put your your podcasts, and then you need to set your player because by default it will not play them automatically from within Podboat. But if you set it in your player to MPV space hyphen hyphen save hyphen position hyphen on hyphen quit, then when you quit the podcast, it will save your position and you'll be able to start it where you left off and you won't have to restart from the beginning. It's very useful for podcasts as well as audiobooks. I really wish it had better integration with either itself or with something like Seamuse to allow you to make a playlist or all that. That's another project that I'm trying not to work on because I have too many projects. So I, I want someone else to work on one of these projects. Um, the runner-up that I have for this is Podfox, which I used a little bit. It uses Python, which I think is the most most of the reason why I didn't use it, just because I don't really like using Python applications personally. I do, anyway, because I know YouTube DL is a Python application, but I, I don't prefer it, just on a moral level. But Podfox has some nice features, like it can be configured with JSON. Uh, it has a better directory structure than Podboat, where it'll store everything in a podcast directory, and then it will store each show in its own directory, which does make it easier to integrate with something like CMuse, but... It also has, like, it doesn't integrate super well as far as having a playlist or having a play queue or any of this kind of stuff. It's, I, I just want there to be a better terminal podcast app. And if you know a better terminal podcast app, please, please, please let me know about it. Um, so next I'm going to go into what I use for text editing. I already mentioned this. It's NeoVim, which is the successor to Vim, which is the successor to the 6 text editor or as some people call it, VI or VI. But, you know, some people also say Mac OS X, and people get very mad when they say that. Anyway, uh, you can use this with along with uh, GitX-flavored markdowns, that stuff like GitLab or Gitty uh, markdown flavors, as well as Pandoc, which uh, you can use to uh, translate a markdown file into PDF or Deja Vu or... Uh, actually, I don't think it does deja vu. So you can do it into a PDF, you can do it into a XLL or XML file. Jeez. Um, or whatever. You can do it into HTML, all those kind of formats. You can just use Pandoc to handle all those things and move them all around. Uh, I, I feel like org mode would be better if Emacs wasn't just kind of... I can't work with Emacs. Emacs has, it's too loosey-goosey with how it handles text. Like, the number of times where I've had to undo, like, eight times because I accidentally rewrote my entire file, and sometimes I accidentally have saved over a file, which I know is my problem because it's like, oh, you should just 
I don't know, be better at remembering the commands, I guess, is what I needed to do, or just to... I, I honestly, I don't know what I could have done better, really. I know that I should have, if I knew that I had typed in a command incorrectly, I should have controlled G'd immediately to quit out of that command. But it just, it just seems very dangerous to me to have that, to play it so fast and loose with text files. That's why I like Vim, is because it has a very, very strict delineation between uh, editing mode and command mode. You cannot type in command mode in Vim, which is very useful because when I'm typing commands, I do not want those to ever touch my file. That's just my sort of soapbox on why I don't use Emacs. I mean, I'm sure if if that's how your brain works, I'm really glad, happy for you because Orc mode is amazing. And I've seen how it can structure with everything and I wish I could use it, but I can't use Emacs because that's not how my brain works. So I can't use org mode. There are some things for like Vim org mode, but they're not quite there yet, and they rely on, I mean, Python again. <laughs> and I don't like using Python. I can't use it on my phone is one of the reasons where it's just it does it can't handle all of that abstraction on my phone, and it's annoying. Um, but yeah. So the next thing that I'm going to talk about is the what I use for my audio recording, and I'm using it actually right now for my audio recording. And what I use is FFmpeg. And the way that I have it set up is I have a alias for recording, which is alias space record equals quote FFmpeg space hyphen F alsa hyphen channels space one space hyphen India space, hotel whiskey, colon, one, end quote. And the reason why I know that is what it is, because the uh, hardware interface, which is the hotel whiskey number one, is what my uh, USB microphone is. I use a mod, an antline mod mic in order to record. And so that'll record it to, so I can type in record raw.wav, and it will start recording from my microphone to raw.wav. In addition to this, I have three functions that I put in my bash RC, which I'm going to put in the show notes as scripts, which um, do a little bit of post-processing. I have one called atrim, which trims out all of the silence in the middle of the, like, whenever there's a long period of silence in, I, th- I think I have it set to... Um, 75% of a second, I guess, 0.75 seconds. I was going to say 75 milliseconds, but I think it's 750 milliseconds. Um, anything over that gets trimmed down to 750 milliseconds. And then I have top and tail, which adds the, um, the Hacker Public Radio theme and end card. And then I also have a norm, which normalizes the audio, uh, utilizing, what is it? Um, it's like loud norm is the name of the FFmpeg filter. And there's a Python script called FFmpeg-LH, which is for LoudNorm Helper, which gives you all of the options that you need for LoudNorm and just plops them right into your FFmpeg. Um, Once again, I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. And so basically what this does is I can record, I can trim out all the silence, I can add the HPR stuff, and I can normalize it, and I can actually do that all in one line because of how I've written the scripts. So the way that the scripts are set up is that they can take input 
and output, or they can just accept input, or they don't need to have any arguments. And the way that, that works is that it will actually read from standard input and write to standard output. So the way that I'm actually recording this episode is I have it set to record, and then raw.wav, and then ampersand ampersand, so it'll wait for my recording to finish, and then if it succeeds, then it will pipe, or then it will go to, then it will run the re next command, which I have as cat raw.wav, so it will print out all of raw.wav into standard output, and then I have that piped to atrim, which will cut out all of the silence, and then I have that piped to top tail, which will put on the HPR opening card and end card, and I have that piped to a norm as the input parameter, and then for the output parameter, I have final.wav, so it will take it from recording straight to final.wav all in one one line. I don't have that alias because sometimes you might want to mess around with um, how you're actually post-processing it, and I don't have it remove raw.wav because that way I can do whatever post-processing I want to the original file at some like other point if I messed up or if I did, if I did whatever, and then I can rerun it through the scripts and in order to do some post-processing on the edited version if I need to. Um, that's basically how that audio recording stuff works. Uh, now, next is my web browser, which I mentioned already is Lynx, which is Lima Yankee November X-Ray. Uh, and it's just really fun and fast to use. It cuts out all of the images and all of the ads. Well, most of the ads. Um, and it's just very fast and very I, I don't know like it does it does your web browsing stuff it lets you read articles it lets you go to social media it lets you see posts that people post on Mastodon all that, all that kind of stuff um, it can leverage uh, web 4.0 technologies like Gopher which is what I put in the show notes uh, because it will run Gopher and FTP and HTTP HTTPS and all of that it, I don't think it has a way of running Gemini yet I, I don't know if I already said that or if that was the previous take. But anyway, it, it can't run Gemini, which means that you'd need a different uh, terminal application in order to do that from the terminal. But And some sites break kind of kind of bad because any site that relies on like JavaScript, etc., it's not really going to work so well running in text mode. But like most of the time, I don't even use sites like that, so it doesn't even matter. Um... And last, and probably least, is email, which uh, I don't actually, I didn't actually use at the time. Uh, I didn't really use any email services at the time just because I didn't really have a, a need for it. I wasn't really in a good place at the time, I'll just say. And there was nobody knocking down my email door in order to send me anything at all. Uh, but, and now that I'm not in that situation anymore, I got proton mail which you can only access really effectively through the web mail which is annoying and i'm probably going to have to change that but let me let me know what you think like let me know how you have your email set up so you can access it through a uh, email client like whether or not you host your own service or whether or not there's another service that you trust uh, the biggest thing that it is for me is that I don't really want emails stored in plain text on a server that I don't control, which is why I use 
I mean, Proton Mail has some is isn't necessarily the best for this, but it, it's the best that I've been able to find as far as having good spam blocking features. And I might just have to roll my own things when it comes to stuff like that. But anyway, it's the the best one that I've been able to sort of do, and everything is supposedly encrypted on their end. It really doesn't really make sense a whole lot of sense to me how, and this has been come under scrutiny by other people, but how it, it would be secure. Like, how would they not be able to access your emails if you're accessing them in a web browser? I mean, I suppose what it is is that they have you set the GPG password and everything is encrypted to that password so they can't access it without that password. I guess that's how it works. Either way, I'm definitely looking for a better solution to all of that. Um, but that's all of the programs that I have here. So that's basically what I use in order to live off of the terminal for about two years, and it works pretty okay for me. I Give it a try. Like The terminal it never really was something that frightened me, just because if you've listened to my episode on... Um, my journey into technology, then I was introduced to computers kind of with assembly language, which is how all of the bits get moved around in the computer. So uh, you, doing things in a terminal just seemed natural to me. Tell the computer what you want it to do, and it, the computer will do what you want it to do. And that's kind of how I always get kind of frustrated with some graphical user interfaces because of how convoluted they are when I can just tell the computer what I want it to do, and it will do the thing mostly. Um, but yeah, I'll, in the in the description I'll put show notes that'll have links to all of the programs, their homepages, as well as the audio scripts that I use in order to record this, as well as a link to contact me via email or via Mastodon. So um, I guess that's it. I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs>